as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And to the republic for which it stands. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One nation under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized. Minus 15, legal anatomy of current events. SC ready and green to go. T minus 14, FOS ready, green to go. T minus 12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T minus 11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events, green to go. T minus 10, internal power, green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7. We have ignition. Five, four, commit for launch. Green, three, two, one. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal anatomy of current events, all for you. Now on the air, target locked. Good morning, America. Here we go. Y'all ready for this? The Bell and Pollock Legal Anatomy of Current Events podcast and show. We bring the show to you to teach you the legal aspects of current events happening in the country. We're glad to do it. We try to break it down into its legal components. And today we're talking about executive orders. President Biden has issued an executive order canceling student loans. Oral argument is set before the United States Supreme Court on that very issue on February 28th. So can he do it by executive order? Can any president do it by executive order? or not? What are the arguments for and what are the arguments against? What is the legal breakdown and the legal anatomy of that issue? Well, we're going to cover that today. What are executive orders? We get asked this question all the time. I've wondered it and I went through law school and they're a fascinating subject. You got executive orders issued by presidents for literally years in this country. And, you know, they're not statutes passed by Congress, right? They're not rules and regulations passed by an administrative agency. There are orders on a piece of paper signed by the president of the United States that many times have the absolute effect of law. And you say, how can that be? Gary, how can that be? You have uh, a Congress, they pass statutes. So how can the president issue laws? I thought that was what the Congress was supposed to do. I thought that was the function of the Congress. And yes, that is the function of the Congress. But I'm telling you what. The president can do it, and presidents in history have done this, and what we're going to cover today, I think, is going to kind of fascinate you, especially you history buffs, and if you're not a history buff, I think you're going to glom onto it anyway, because it's got a fascinating history in this country. Some of the very significant events in this country were interpreted 
applied and enforced by executive orders of the president. They sit down. They make a proclamation. Every president has done it. doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican. They've all done it. And when you look at the number of executive orders issued by these presidents in our country, it's, it's quite amazing. I mean, some of these presidents have issued hundreds and hundreds of executive orders. Now, I want you to think about that, right? I want you to think about that and break that down. You've got a president elected sitting, sitting in the White House issuing orders that become the force of law. Can they be challenged? Yes, we're going to cover that t- today. There's one currently being challenged that we're going to lay the foundation for this week, and then we're going to cover in detail next week, and that is President Biden's order to cancel student loans. So we're going to lay the foundation, the legal foundation, so we're going to anatomize your mind. We're going to break it down to its legal components about these executive orders. You know, it goes all the way back to uh, President Abraham Lincoln. He suspended the writ of habeas corpus, and that's kind of a legal mumble-jumble talk, but writ of habeas corpus in criminal law was very important. It means bring forth the person, bring forth the body. We have to have some due process here. So President Lincoln suspended the writ of habeas corpus uh, by an executive order, right? And then that one went all the way to to the United States Supreme Court. That's how they can be challenged. They can also be challenged by Congress, but as you know, that's a more cumbersome procedure, a more cumbersome way to go to go at it. Also, you know, President Lincoln's uh, he had the uh, Emancipation uh, Proclamation, right, which then resulted in the Thirteenth Amendment uh, uh, abolishing slavery. So that executive order was a very colorful one, an important one in the United States um, history. Also, we've had current presidents that issue hundreds of executive orders. So an executive order is basically an order by the president of the United States directed to a federal official or a federal agency, and in some instances to private parties, to either do something or to refrain from doing something, right? To do something or refrain from doing something. So where does this power come from? You're going to be fascinated by this because as we talk in the show a lot, it comes things come from the United States Constitution. But... Uh, you know, if you're a strict constructionist of the United States Constitution, meaning if the, you only do something if the words are there in the Constitution, you don't interpret them. There are some p- political parties and some political candidates that interpret it. Some judges that interpret the Constitution. Some judges say it's a literal l- word. If the word is not there, it doesn't exist, right? So there is no direct definition of executive orders in the United States Constitution. It's not there. He said, well, if that's true, Gary and Brad, and Brad Pollock is not with us today, but if that's true, Gary and Brad, then how can President Biden issue an executive order that's the force of law canceling student loans? Now, we're going to get into that next week, but we're going to lay the foundation for you this week. So there is no direct definition of executive orders in the United States Constitution. And, by the way, there is no specific provision authorizing executive orders. So there's nothing in the Constitution that says you can't do it, and there's nothing in the United States Constitution that says you can do it. So what are we talking about here? Really? An executive order, which, which by the way, has the force of law. It's going to be covered out. It's going to be covered. It's going to be carried out, right? So Article 2, which is where they all fall back on, Article 2 of the United States Constitution vests the executive powers in the president. Well, that's kind of general. That's kind of vague. Vests the executive powers in the president. 
and requires, and I'm going to give you a quote here. I don't usually give quotes, but I'm going to give you a quote. Requires the president to, quote, shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. The president, quote, shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. That's the power. That's the clause. That's the language in our country's history, in our country's document, that the executive order comes from. That's the enabling part of the Constitution. And you can argue it all day long. It doesn't say that, or it does say that. And it it depends if you're going to read the strict words and go by the words because the words aren't there, or you're going to interpret it. Quote, shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. So what does every president do? If you're going to issue an executive order, you kind of try to frame your executive order into an already existing law, right? You want to kind of further the law. You can't just invent something. And a lot of people said that's what President Lincoln did, right? When he suspended the writ of habeas corpus, just invented it. But you can't invent it because the Constitution says the president can do this in furtherance of the laws and, the, and their faithful execution. So when you draft an executive order for a president to sign, they have lawyers, right? They have attorneys, they have legal staff, they have historians. When you draft an executive order, you try to match it to a statute of law because you want to say that the executive order is in furtherance of that statute, in furtherance of that law, Okay. And so that's how the executive order comes about. Let's take an example. When President Trump became, became president, he issued an executive order, and he wanted to abolish Obamacare, and that's a big political fight. And as I said, we don't get into political fights on this show, but we cover the, the, the fights so that we can explain the legal parts to you, right? We cover the fight. So President Trump wanted to abolish Obamacare, so he issued an executive order, and I want you to listen to this very carefully. And he said in his executive order that federal agencies, so it's directed to a federal agency, federal agencies were to, quote, take all actions consistent with law. All right. Okay. Take all actions consistent with law to minimize the unwarranted economic and regulatory burdens of the Affordable Care Act. What does that say? That's the exact quote. That's a direct quote from an executive order. So then it gives the president a bully pulpit to come out and say, I've issued an executive order to get rid of Obamacare. But it doesn't. It didn't. So it has to be in furtherance of the law. But that executive order was issued. And so sometimes you have executive orders and they're not challenged. They're just there. People can do whatever they want to with them. They don't mean a whole lot. This in the end analysis probably didn't mean a whole lot. And then the last part of President Trump's executive order on Obamacare was, and to prepare to afford the states more flexibility. What does that mean? To prepare to afford the states more flexibility. So you can see it's general language to kind of bolster a political belief or political position in the framework of furthering the law. I mean, Obamacare was already passed. It was a law. And I'm not sure, you, I mean, you could argue either way whether this is furthering it, but that's what we're talking about on executive orders. A, f- a very, very colorful history in this country on executive orders and what presidents do with them. One of the most famous ones was when the steel mills were seized by executive order, and I'm going to cover, cover that in, the, in a minute, but there was also some other yeah, United States Supreme Court decisions on this. Now, there, there, there were executive orders in the civil rights movement. There were executive orders on desegregation in Little Rock, Arkansas. 
So you get the flavor of this. The, the one case was Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company versus Sawyer. It was an executive order putting steel mills during the Korean War under federal control during a strike, and they said it was invalid. So the president seized private property, the steel mills, during the Korean War, and then that one did go to the Supreme Court. And they said that was invalid, couldn't be done. You were trying to enforce uh, uh, an executive order against private property, and the Supreme Court struck it down. That's another example. You know, President Dwight Eisenhower is the one that put an executive order in to put the Arkansas National Guard under federal control to enforce desegregation in Little Rock, Arkansas. So now you're getting the flavor of these executive orders, right? These presidents can do it. There's no really specific authorization in the United States Constitution to let them do it. And there's no specific prohibition in the United States Constitution that says they can't do it. Right. So let's get a flavor of this. This is kind of interesting. And don't forget, at the end of our show, we're going to do our American idiom. We're going to have a little bit of fun like we do at the end of every show. We're going to have our American idiom and ask you what it means. And we're also going to have our quote of the day. We like to do that. And we're going to we got that coming up. So President Roosevelt issued the most executive orders of any president in the history of the United States. And I'm going to kind of save that one for in a minute. President Truman issued 896 executive orders. Look, this 896 executive orders, they don't, go, go, they don't go through the Congress. They don't go through the House of Representatives. They don't go through the Senate. The president just signs them. And so people have to comply unless they're challenged. And I'm going to cover how you challenge them in just a minute. President Obama issued 277 orders, you know, during his presidency. His, his predecessor, President George Bush, issued 291 orders. Seems like a lot, but it's not a lot in perspective and comparison to other presidents. And President Bill Clinton had 364 executive orders during his two terms in office. Now, let's go back to President Roosevelt. You just heard Truman issued 896 orders. Obama issued 277. George Bush issued 291. And Bill Clinton issued 364. President Roosevelt issued the most, according to the records at the National Archive. He issued... 3,728 orders between 1933 and 1945. Of course, that was during the Great Depression, and that was, a, uh, that was World War II. And then we had work orders, back-to-work orders, suspension, national emergencies. But these executives' orders are issued. They have the effect of law unless they're challenged or struck down. So let's talk about that a second. You have an executive order issued, you don't like it, and we got one coming up on President Biden's student loan cancellation, which that's going to be next week's show. This week, we're teaching you about executive orders. Next week, we're going to look in detail, anatomize your mind on the executive order issued by, by President Biden with regard to canceling student loans. But how do you deal with these? How do you get rid of them? What happens? If you don't like it, I mean, it has the effect of law, as I've said. Well, the president can suspend it, and there were presidents that suspended them. That doesn't mean it went away. The president can revoke it. They normally don't because they issued it. They have the power to overturn it themselves. Congress can pass a statute, excuse me, changing the executive order and obliterating it, blocking it, stopping it. So Congress can pass a law, but you know what it takes to get a law passed by Congress. 
So the president can revoke it. The president can modify it. The president can suspend it. Congress can override it. Or you can challenge it in court. And there have been several in the history of our country that were challenged in court, okay, including the writ of habeas corpus. Uh, and there's a couple of others that we're going to talk about here in a second. So the courts can overturn it. And then, but think about this, right? Think about this. The courts can overturn it. The Supreme Court can decide it. And by the way, on February 28th of this year, the United States Supreme Court is going to hear oral arguments on the executive order issued by President Biden to cancel student loans. That's next week's subject. That's next week's show, right? And so we're going to, we're, we'll talk about that next week. But the courts have the power to stay enforcement. They can stay enforcement. They can issue an injunction. They can issue a restraining order. They can ultimately overturn an executive order. And they usually do it on the grounds that it was found to be beyond the president's constitutional authority. But I've already covered to you and with you how vague the words in the Constitution are with regard to executive orders. Look, in the history of this country, executive orders usually boil down, the Supreme Court justices have said, to either it's really, really clear the president has the power to do this, or number two, it's like in one, pres one Supreme Court justice called it a twilight zone. It's in the twilight zone. Does the president have the authority or not? It's kind of vague. It's kind of ambiguous. And then number three, uh, clearly the president, whatever he did, does not have the authority. It's so clear we can't even believe it. So that's kind of the three criteria they use to review uh, an executive order. So let's talk about a couple examples. And, then, you know, if you're a history buff, you're going, you're going to love this. But if you're not a history buff, I think you know, need to know this. Okay, remember, World War II, right? Right, Franklin Roosevelt authorized the Secretary of War to set aside certain physical land areas as military zones, clearing the way, you know, for the incarceration of nearly 120,000 Japanese Americans. That was done by executive order. Think about that. In our country, 120,000 Japanese Americans incarcerated by executive order, number 9066, right? It was later suspended, and the went all the way to the uh, Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court basically ruled that the United States government could not, you know, continue to detain a citizen who was concededly loyal to the United States, and these were Japanese Americans. And then on February 19th, uh, 1976, Ger President Gerald Ford revoked it. That was just one example. And I mentioned earlier the seizing of the uh, steel mills, right? And that was President Harry Truman issued an executive order uh, directing the Secretary of Commerce to seize steel mills by executive order. So now you're getting the flavor of this. And then they, it was challenged and, and it went through the court process, right? So now we understand what uh, executive orders are. They're issued by the president. There's no specific authorization in the Constitution to allow him to do that. There's no prohibition saying he can't do that. He has to try to do it in furtherance of an already existing law, and that gets vague and ambiguous and, and hidden. And they do it, and sometimes they do it in very general language, like President Trump's executive order to abolish Obamacare. He had no power to abolish Obamacare, but then he was framing it uh, to meet his political agenda. So that's the history of, of executive orders. Next week, we're going to be talking about executive orders by President Biden to cancel student loans. 
That's going to be argued. Oral arguments are scheduled February 28th before the United States Supreme Court. All right, let's get to our American idiom here this week. It's really a good one. I'm sure you're going you're gonna to recognize it. But um, so the American idiom is uh, for crying out loud. Where'd that come from? That's kind of fun, isn't it? What does for crying out loud mean? I mean, you're not crying. For crying out loud. If you want to reach us and give us your ideas, and we'll give you the answer next week, but if you want to reach us, you can email us at info, I-N-F-O, that's info, at legalanatomy.net, info at legalanatomy.net, Gary Bell, Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado, and we're glad to do this show for you to break down the legal components of current events so you can analyze them, understand them, and hopefully give you a little insight that you didn't have before. And let's go to the quote of the day. We're going to have some more fun with our quote of the day. We always do. I just gave you the American idiom. Quote of the day. All right, repeat after me. Give me this answer. Do you give as much energy to your dreams as you do to your fears? Do you give as much energy to your dreams as you do to your fears? That's a great quote. One to think about. You can contact us at info at legalanatomy.net. Anytime, I'm Gary Bell. Brad Pollock, my law partner, is not here today. We usually do the show together. Next week, we're going to be talking about the executive order, which you already know about now, the executive order issued by President Biden to cancel student loans. And that's a hot political issue. This is not a political show. However, we try to break current events down to their legal parts or legal components or legal anatomy. That's why we call it a legal anatomy so that we can give you the information and educate you on the issues legally so you can make up your own mind, including your own political mind. We want you to have the information. We want you to have the legal analysis. And that's one reason we do this show. I mean, if you want to rail to one side or the other, you can do it. There's plenty of venues out there to rail against each other. But what is the legal analysis of canceling student loans? And, of course, you know, the political argument, arguments range from everything they shouldn't be. They have to live up to the debts. Other people live up to the debts and all that. We don't get into political points. We get into the legality of it. And that's before the Supreme Court. Does the Supreme Court have the power and authority to override and make null and void an executive order? Yes, they do. And they're going to hear the argument. And we're going to cover that subject with you next week on Legal Anatomy of Current Events. See you then.